Welcome to the Year of Faith Discussion Series, presented by the Most Reverend Richard Lennon, Bishop of the Cleveland Catholic Diocese. This series is presented in concert with the Holy Father's request that there be opportunities for the faithful to deepen their appreciation and their knowledge of church teaching. From the Cathedral of St. John the Evangelist in downtown Cleveland, Bishop Lennon speaks to the documents of the Second Vatican Council. Today's document is the Decree on the Mission Activity of the Church. And it's the document on the mission life of the church. Uh, it goes by the Latin words ad gentes, meaning to the nations, to the peoples. You know, it, it is looking out to bring something to those who did not know Jesus personally. And so we have that very powerful um, you know, uh, part of our faith when Jesus returns to the Father. Jesus has finished his, his ministry. He has suffered and died and rose from the dead. He has spent 40 days with the apostles, answering other questions, talking about what is now left to them. And then we have that very powerful image of Jesus rising to heaven and the apostles looking up. One can only imagine what went through their mind, especially in light of what Jesus said to them. The last recorded words, Go therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So here, they have been with him for three years. They have seen what he's done. They've grown in their understanding of what he has done. And now they are confronted with what he has said would happen. And now it's happening. So you can only wonder what was going through their minds and hearts. Because ten days later, they're in a room in Jerusalem. They're still hesitant. They aren't sure what's happening. And, and in the back of their minds is the promise that Jesus made. I will send the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to you. They didn't quite understand all that. And yet, that was also rattling around. And so ten days after Jesus has gone to the Father, he has said, he being Jesus, go therefore and teach all nations, and they haven't done anything. I mean, that's the story. It doesn't tell us anything that happened in those ten days. And then the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. And their lives were completely transformed. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And the story that we have in the scripture is that they went out having been hiding for these days, they go out 
and they teach and preach about Jesus. They were anticipating the Holy Spirit. I'm sure they never quite figured out that it would affect them that way. But people full of fear now all of a sudden were bold. They were pretty bold. Going out there was putting themselves right on the firing line, so to speak. And we know from the Acts of the Apostles over those years, they were all arrested at times and threatened. And of course, except for one of the apostles, all of them, we're told, have died, you know, died as martyrs. And yet that day began the preaching about Jesus to others. And the church has not stopped since. Now, over the past years, the church, say, even in our country here, has benefited from other people coming to our land, beginning with the Spanish first, and then the French, and who brought the Catholic faith to those who were living here. They went to the nations, Argentes. They went to where there were people who had not yet heard about Jesus Christ. And that has been the story of 2,000 years. Now at times, it was a glorious story of great sacrifice and and focus, focus on bringing people to know and love God. And the Second Vatican Council focuses on that activity. Over the years, people increasingly saw that what they were doing was not, was not optional. It was part and parcel of being a believer. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone had to go to a foreign land. But everyone had to care about spreading the faith. Not everyone has a vocation to be a missionary, but everyone does have part of the vocation of being an evangelizer, helping people come to know the faith. So when it begins, it is dealing with people who did not know Jesus and it's their task to begin to make him known. Within a few years, relatively few years, in the city of Antioch, which is still there today in Syria, in Antioch we find that they are called Christians. They have done the work. People have started to come to the faith. They are discernible within society. There are groups of people who are identified not only to themselves, but to the larger community that we are Christians. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Some people don't like it, of course, 
and the early years were years of, of persecution. No, uh, the Roman uh, authorities, the emperors, would have persecutions over those first oh, 250 to 75 years. It begins really in 64 with Nero, and it's pretty well done by 325. So in that period of time, being a follower of Christ was a very weighty decision because a person knew that they could very easily fall victim to the persecutions. And so there was an intensity in Catholic life. And that was one of the things that for over 200 years, those who were attracted to the faith, those who were invited in and became part of it, they lived an intensity. The great writer and and historian, Cardinal Newman, asked the question, why was it attractive? And it was the life and the message of Christ. Someone was willing to die for others, and someone had a vision of eternal happiness. The world at that time did not have that. The idea that someone would die for others, and the idea that definitely there was an afterlife. Death was not the end. Death was a gateway into eternity, following the way of Christ. People understood that. And it wasn't on their terms. It was on God's terms. Now, I mentioned just a moment ago the year 325. That was when we had the, you know, the emperor decrees that Christianity is the religion of the empire. It had been pagan, and now by imperial decree, the religion of the empire is to be Christianity. Over the 60 years after that, it fluctuated back and forth as there were different emperors, but the die was cast that by the year 400, it is the religion of the empire. Now, the reason I go back to that is because with with secular endorsement, the, the emperor... With secular endorsement, one can raise the question, did this help Christianity or not? Now, we might think, well, you know, I mean, we were no longer having people die. So that's certainly something good. And it is. But with the approbation of of civil society, 
What happened was, it was in my best interest to become a Christian. Here and now, I could get a job. I could get a pension. I was one of the favored ones. And so, was the motive as clean as it had been during the years when there was a persecution? Certainly there was nothing to gain if you were a Christian while they were killing you. But when they say that you're okay, and in fact we're making you the religion of the empire, now there's a lot that you can get from that. And so, I mean, it's one of those interesting questions that we think about because the church had wonderful days thereafter. But they've also had days that were lax. For example, at the end of the persecutions, many Christians, because of the fear of, uh, of death, which is understandable, but the fear of death, they would offer sacrifice to the, the gods. I mean, that happened. And then that caused tremendous anxiety within the Christian community. They had said no to Christ. They said no. And now what do we do? Because now that there is peace, they want to come back. And if they're priests or bishops, were their baptisms valid? Oh, it it, it raised tremendous questions. It really did. And the church, uh, inspired by the mercy of Christ, you know, said no to, you know, to those who wished to come back and ruled in favor of the people. So that idea of becoming the official religion. There were some parts of that that, you know, some of the fervor was no longer there at the same degree. It had been compromised. I give that as a bit of a background of the mission work of the church. In this document, it it captures that this was the work that Christ came for that all people, he died for all, so that all people would benefit from what his obedience to the Father was all about, to suffer and die, to to breach the, the separation between God and humankind, so that all people could, in their lives, following the teachings of Christ, in obedience, in faith, hope, and charity, come to eternal life. That this was what Christ came for, and that is what he sent the Holy Spirit for, and the church is the sacrament of salvation. It wasn't something that we dreamed up. 
It was God's plan. It was God's plan. And so the church, being the continuation of God's plan being implemented, it's not something that we can make independent decisions about either corporately as a church or as individuals. Eh, I don't think we'll do that this year. No, that really doesn't ring true. That's you know, the mandate that Christ has given us. And the church in this document, in the beginning of it, sets that very clear picture of the necessity, or as Pius XI said, if we are not missionaries, we are not Christian. That's saying it pretty boldly and bluntly. You know, I, I, you know, I just can't live my little life, you know, uh, un, you know, unrelated to anything. It's interesting. One of the two people, and, and, and I don't remember the other one, and I apologize, but one of them I do, and it's the one I want to talk about. Um, there are two people who are considered the patron saints of the missions. One of them is the little flower. St. Therese of Lisieux. Now, she lived in a convent. She died in her early 20s. And yet, even though she never went out as a missionary, she was deeply a missionary in her heart. Her prayers and her sacrifices were all for the mission. Now, the reason I say that, for many of us, we will never go to Papua New Guinea. We're not going. And that does not mean we're not missionary. When we have the yearly appeal at the parish, every parish in the United States has a yearly appeal. A missionary comes and and asks for our assistance. We assist them by our prayers, number one, and financially, number two. I had the privilege back on May 1st, celebrating Mass down in St. Bernard's in Akron. It was the Red Mass for the lawyers in Summit County. One of the priests brought a, a bishop from India who was visiting him, their friends. And so at the end of the Mass, before we had the final blessing, I had the priest stand up I mean, the bishop, and, and talked to the people for a few moments. Caught him off guard, but it was good. That way, uh, there he didn't have to ruin himself by having to worry about what am I going to say. It just came out of him, and it was great. He told them who he was, where his diocese was, the struggles. He also said, I'm not here today to ask for a collection. Um, but he said, I mean, that's why I'm in the United States. He said, I have six parishes in three, you know, uh, in three different uh, dioceses, and I come and I ask for money to help, and I ask for their prayers and their sacrifices to help our work in, in his part of India. Well, when he finished, I said, before we have the final blessing, just so you get a real full picture of this, he is looking for help 
to continue the work of bringing the message of Christ to others. But he's doing his part because he has 12 of his priests here in the United States who are serving our American Catholics. So he's doing his part also, sharing what he has with us and asking us to share with him what we have and they don't. When we pause and think about this, it is the beauty of the universality of the church and that we're all one. We're not separated. The idea that we do help one another is so crucial. It really is. And that is what the missionary thing from the very beginning has always been. Bringing, first of all, a message of salvation, first and foremost. And as time went on, the missionaries also brought other things. For example, as we get more into the modern era, uh, we have, you know, religious orders that, you know, brought education to where they went. Our, our religious women brought their ability in health care and, and Catholic charities work. And so not only were they interested in the salvation of the person, which is primary, but they were also helping their material and physical needs in their particular situations. And so the story of the you know, of the missions is the story really of the Catholic Church at its very best. Obeying Christ and helping people come to know him and love him. It's a generous heart who goes to Papua New Guinea. It's a generous heart who prays for the missions daily. It's a generous heart who responds to the request of a missionary for financial help. So every one of us is involved, hopefully, with truly a missionary outlook that what we have is not just for us. What we have is meant to be shared with others. That's what God has done with his love, giving us his son, and asks us, in turn, to have that same love for the four billion people who have not yet heard about Christ. And that's what the church in 1964 said in this document. They said other things also, but I wanted to give a foundation of how it all started. I think that's important, because sometimes we can almost make believe that the missionary thing doesn't count And I think what Pius XI said, if you're not missionary, you're not Christian, brings us back to our senses. No, if we're going to be obedient to God, this is not an option. This is something that has to be part of our lives, something that we take seriously because, as Christism says, you know, and this is a bit, you know, some of the early fathers could be pretty direct. It is the cold-hearted person who doesn't care about the salvation of his brother or sister. And, and this is one of our saints, you know, who also was a great thinker. 
but a cold-hearted person who doesn't think about their brother and sister's salvation. You've been listening to a discussion of the documents of the Second Vatican Council as part of the Year of Faith discussion series presented by the Most Reverend Richard Lennon, Bishop of the Diocese of Cleveland. This series is presented in concert with the Holy Father's request that there be opportunities for the faithful to deepen their appreciation and their knowledge of church teaching during this special Year of Faith. To watch all the videos in this series, go to our website, dioceseofcleveland.org slash year of faith. Thank you for listening.